great day. Welcome to another incredible and amazing day. I know today is Friday, the end of the week, and we have in our conversation another incredible, amazing speaker, one of my favorites. Um, so welcome, welcome again to Lucia Gabriela TV, the place to be where we come to learn everything we can and how to master our life, our relationships, and our sexuality. And the conversations that we've been having the past couple of days had been about what is sexual healing, what is not, understanding more about it, like the different uh, levels, uh, modalities, and what actually it is, and how can we really... Um, experience and sexual healing and for those who are practitioners to understand more and to have more clarity on how to actually even express it to your clients. So I am very honored today to have one of my favorite actually mentors. Her name is Francesca Gentile and she's the founder of the Somatic Integrative Healing Institute. Uh, a clinical sexologist and a shaman. So I am so excited to bring Francesca into our forum today. So here she is. Hello. <laughs> hello. Hello, Lucia. Hello, everybody. <laughs> so excited to share this topic. Oh, my God. So important. It is. And I'm so Ah, I am so, so, so delighted to have you here today. So I would like to start with like uh, introducing yourself a little bit to our community who are watching. We've been having a great following for the past couple of days, so we want to continue the momentum of exploring, understanding, and clarifying what sexual healing is and what is not. So please introduce yourself to our community. What do you do and how you help clients? Thank you for asking that, and uh, hello, community. One of my passions is really looking at how do we get to where we are sexually? What's in the way of our full sexual expression? Where do we maybe shame ourselves? Where have we accepted something from culture that limits who we really are and what we're authentically meant to be? Where are we maybe even disassociated from our bodies due to trauma? Where do we not give ourselves permission to say yes or to say no or in many cases to even know what our yeses and nos are? Where do we go into judgment versus curiosity? And what I am is a certified clinical sexologist. I'm a, a tantra educator. I'm a therapeutic dominant. I'm a teacher. I'm a director of institutes. I travel and teach around the world. And I'm a shaman. And part of what that means to me, and I'm going to guess that some of you are shamans too, is that we're someone who looks at the world as having multiple levels of reality that are all equally valid. So in the shamanic worldview, this, you know, material plane is valid, but so too is the information from dream time. So too is the, the information maybe from our ancestors or a deep intuition. So too could be even totemics, like the animal spirits may have information or may guide us or protect us at some time. Uh, some of us may have very strong relatedness to earth, air, fire, or water. We may uh, feel energy very, very strongly. We may, in fact, take on too much energy, too much emotional energy from people around us. And the shaman, the shaman really seeks to restore balance. You know, what's out of balance in the world, in our bodies, in a community, in a family, 
within a couple. So for many of us, even if we might say that we're sex educators or sex coaches, or we might say that we're massage therapists, or we might say that we're psychotherapists, or there's many titles that we might have, and another possible title could actually be shaman in this uh, cross-cultural definition of what shamanism is. So I'm very excited to be sharing in this weave um, as somebody from Tantra, one, one definition of Tantra, one etymological root meaning of Tantra is the weave, is weaving things together. So in today's uh, webinar, I'm envisioning that we're going to pull from various places, including shamanism and Tantra and psychology and neurobiology and sexology and just all these wonderful different places to give us more information and tools on how to really bring and catalyze sexual wholeness for ourselves and one another. <laughs> I am so excited about today because of, I personally, Francesca is one of my mentors and I'm so honored to call myself, uh, you know, to call her my mentor because um, her way of teaching, like she just mentioned, she brings all these different modalities and like different uh, everything. Like she's weaving it, and it's not just physical what she addresses. And I love that she feeds my brain to begin with, <laughs> like the whole aspect of neuroscience and so inspiring. So I'm really, really so excited to have my own mentor here today talking about what sexual healing is and what is not. So from and. I would like to invite everyone who is watching our series. We'll be having a great, incredible conversation for the past couple of days. And every one of our speakers coming and sharing their perspective from what they are in their life and like what actually they practice. Some practice sexual healing uh, from, a, you know, we have like a big spectrum of different modalities and some of them uh, share their perspective from the level of energetic, psychological, from the or the body, I'm um, also uh, uh, sharing the perspective about the aspect of sexual healing from genital touch, even some people are like addressing more of the aspect of uh, uh, sex with the clients or not. So we're going to be exploring these questions in depth. And yeah, maybe some of the questions may sound like they're repeating, you know, they're repeating questions, but actually when we question maybe the same question from a different angle and perspective, we actually get more clear to what it is and what is not. So I invite everyone to be patient <laughs> and to go with us through all the way and to the end because you're going to explore more things about yourself and about this amazing realm that maybe you didn't think about it before. And also to respect our interviewers like our uh, mentors perspective so we honor everyone here with respect we 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 literally love everyone because we're learning from everyone so i'm really excited so the first question that we're gonna ask to francesca is what is sexual healing what is sexual healing and i just want to say um i'm now on uh, Lucia's page, Lucia's page, and I'm looking to see if any questions from you come up. So just so you know that. And when we look at sexual healing, I think we also need to be in an inquiry of what is sexual wholeness or what is sexual wellness? You know, what are we heading toward and what are, what have, what are we not at yet? And let's imagine that sexual wholeness is that every time we touch ourselves, or someone else, we're integrated. 
we're not splitting to say part of me wants to and part of me doesn't. Or if part of me wants to and part of me doesn't, then I feel comfortable saying that. In sexual wholeness, there's no shame. There may be limits. There may be preferences. You know, this is what I like. This is what I don't like. This is what's right for me right now. But there's not shame. There's not judgment. Uh, in sexual wholeness, there's a sense of collaboration and joy and fluidity and and also maybe tears, like whatever is authentic. It feels like there's safe space for that to come forward. In sexual wholeness, we understand that sexuality has rhythms <laughs> where sometimes we want it a lot. <laughs> sometimes we want it a little less. Sometimes we're not really tuned into our desire for it. And I believe that in sexual wholeness, we actually have the skill sets to tune in and say, you know, hey, baby, you know, I'm not feeling it right now. And I love you. And give me a few moments to, you know, do my breathing exercises and to tune into my own arousal and really find that. And as I find my own sense of my sexual access let me see if I can stoke those fires and in a way that feels authentic and a choice and then I can bring them to you. So sexual wholeness to me includes that we don't have to rely on being in the mood. We don't have to rely on uh, utilizing just finding the right person who's going to somehow trigger our pheromones in some way so that finally we feel like we can step over our own fear and be connected to another person. In sexual wholeness, we have a lot of choice. We have a lot of empowerment. So so that's where we're going toward, I think, when we're talking about sexual wholeness. And, and then when we're talking about sexual healing, we're looking at what's in the way of that. And one of the ways that uh, Lucia and I really uh, resonate with each other is understanding that what's in the way of sexual wholeness can be uh, can be the mind. You know, can be, it's not just the body. So you're going to hear my perspective, which may or may not agree with other people's, which is that just going directly to the genitals or just going directly to the body may not actually address what's in the way of my sexual wholeness. So I'm going to say me for the moment. I'll talk about me is, uh, is that I'm, I'm a body, but I'm also a mind, but I'm also an emotions and I'm also a history and there's a lot of what, you know, I'm a spirit that's all here. I love the uh, Eastern uh, energy system model where energy is a river that's meant to flow from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet, through my genitals, through my heart. And it's meant to flow back up from the earth all the way up. And that the arrows or energy or kundalini or ashe or ki or chi that this river could when it's flowing i feel alive i feel juicy i feel uh turned on by life and able to access my own arousal and share it with you when i want to at choice well that river could be blocked anywhere at any time so if i let's say, don't give myself permission to speak my yeses and nos, that would be considered a throat chakra issue, a throat center issue. So the block is actually here. It's in my ability to speak. 
And once I'm able to say what I want and what I don't want, suddenly my arousal is present. Well, another place that it could be blocked is here in my vision. There's many of us, and I was raised a very conservative uh, religion, where I had a lot of fear about sexuality and misinformation about sexuality and a lot of fear about my body. So I lacked vision to actually know what's possible. Like, what's even possible in the range, the world of healthy sexuality? And lacking that vision, that was an area that was blocked. So sometimes to open that vision, we need education. In behavior change theory, we start with uh, raising awareness and education. So that can often be very important for people. Then we have, um, you know, another area could be our power center down here in my, down here in my, in my gut, in my belly. And if I maybe know my yeses and nos, uh, oh, actually the gut would be my gut truth, my gut intuition. Maybe I don't even know my yeses and nos. So whether or not I give myself permission, which is up here, I don't even maybe know them. I'm not tuned into my gut. I'm not feeling into my body. And I have um, wounding issues, trauma around power, around really feeling like I can have power or share power. And that's going to get in the way of my sexuality. And and then maybe, you know, due to trauma, when we have trauma, especially as children, but really any time we have trauma, part of our energy system can actually leave our body. So there's many of us in the world today between trauma and, you know, always being typing at our computers and being on our phones that we're not even in our bodies. Like our energy is not even in our body. So I've been, you know, my shoulders have been up to here all day. I've been at the computer all day or on my phone. I've been in my mind. It's the end of the day. And you're saying, hey, baby, how about it? And I'm thinking, Oh, I don't even feel my body and my shoulders are tense and, you know, not in the mood. I'm not even in my body. And in some cases, I may not have been in my body for 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, because it hasn't ever felt safe. So when we're looking at sexual healing in the model that I use, we're really looking at the entire river and saying, where might it be blocked? And then based on what we're discovering together, how can I collaborate with you? And in my model as well, uh, I don't save, fix, change, or heal anybody. It's not my job. I can only collaborate to the extent that you're ready, that you're willing, that you're able. And you can't save, fix, change, or heal me. You can't make me. You know, I'm a very rebellious inner teenager where it's like, you know, you're not the boss of me. You can't tell me what to do. I mean, and we're, I think we, a lot of us have that rebellious inner teenager. So we're not going to make each other heal. We're not going to save each other. We're going to collaborate. And in collaboration, one of the coolest things that happens is your authority gets empowered. Your sovereignty is lit up. Because if I save you, then you still don't have a, ch a sense of your ability to save yourself. You don't have a sense of your ability uh, and your own strength. And this is, I'm going to just out myself by saying I actually do take issue with some of the systems that go directly to the genitals or go directly even to the body because 
in trauma, and this is especially in trauma, if we've been emotionally, physically, sexually, and or spiritually traumatized or abused, our choice was taken away. I didn't want to be yelled at like that. I didn't want to be hit like that. I didn't want to be neglected like that. I didn't want my my nose to be just, you know, crossed. I didn't want to be sexualized like that. And these situations which may have happened once or twice or may have happened frequently or may have even been part of the culture that I was part of, uh, I'm a certified self-defense coach. You might not know that. <laughs> I'm a certified self-defense coach. And when I was training in that, our teacher said that she was raised in a culture where she was literally taught by her mother, men are going to grab you. Men are going to grab you. They're going to put their hand up your dress or down your dress, and you just have to let them. Like her, her literal cultural training was you have no right to a no, and it's not going to be safe to say no. This is just something you're going to have to put up with in your life. And she was uh, probably at least 20 years younger than me and still being raised in that kind of environment. I mean, it's just heartbreaking. So, you know, this sense of having our um, empowerment, uh, you know, taken away, our choice taken away is, and it's it's not just a gender issue. I mean, I, I, I absolutely believe this is across all genders is that we were raised as children in a hierarchical model that says that our choice, what's authentic to us, is mm. not valuable. That children should be seen, not heard. You mm. should go to bed when I tell you to go to bed. You should eat eat it because I made it. You should hug Aunt Sally because you're, she's your aunt. That there's so many ways that we're trained to step over what is right for us and we're taught the person who has the most quote-unquote power gets to dominate everybody else that is so unhealthy and it's so common so to me when we're when we're looking at sexual wholeness there's like a re you know a three you know a 180 here that we're doing about shifting how we interact with the world and that's not if i just you know, touch your genitals and help you have orgasm or help you, uh, you know, in your ejaculation control, I have not shifted a paradigm. Yeah. I have not supported you in coming home to a new paradigm where your, your yeses, your noes, your pacing, your authenticity, your integration, your collaboration is absolutely crucial. Yeah. And and to me, that's foundational in sexual healing, sexual wholeness is really stepping into a new paradigm. I fall in love every time I talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so I'm just so, I'm like <sighs> feeling this because every time that I learn from Francesca, even doing the interviews as I just... I'm just such in gratitude and all. I'm like, ah, just tearing right now inside. And, ah, 
I love that she always addressed the aspect of the child and the way that we had been culturized and, and this. And for anyone who is a parent, I recommend you to go to our summit that we did about conscious parenting because she did another incredible talk about how to be a conscious parent. So really go to uh, luciagabrielasummit.com and check it out. Uh, totally amazing the whole summit itself and Francesca again she just delivered and poured so much juiciness on that so let's go to the next question <laughs> that I'm soaking all this in is what is not sexual healing Francesca when we look at what is not sexual healing and I also want to bring in something you and I just touched upon there for a moment and expanded a little bit is that idea of we we just brought up the the inner child and uh and the sense of the inner aspects some people call this archetypes some people call this personas uh you might have heard of internal family systems you might have heard of inner voice dialogue uh i've put several modalities together and called it shamanic soul coaching so there's a number of uh, therapies or modalities. Uh, psychodrama also addresses this, where we look at that we are not just one thing. So I've got one body, <laughs> and yet inside me is still, still, this was a shock to me when I discovered this, still a little girl who wants to know, do you like me and am I safe? You know, she still wants to know that. And inside me is that rebellious teen that's like, you're not the boss of me. I don't have to listen to you. You know, and she's still there. And inside me is um, the kind of the primal aspect. This is part of the reptilian brain. It's the part of us that kind of goes through life sniffing and tasting like, tasty or not tasty and you know we have that response to people we have that response to flavor or scent we have that response to food and it's a very instinctual and it's very quick uh you know inside me is and many of us have this is the wise self and the wise self is the part of us that gives really great advice to other people <laughs> but doesn't always give really great advice to us uh, you know, and more. There's like all these different inner aspects. Well, when I was in my training and when I was also researching how do we go into sexual healing, one of the things I recognized was that many sexual, quote unquote, sexual healing modalities weren't teaching how to work with trauma. So they were on the one hand saying that, you know, working with your clitoris or working with your anus or your prostate or your G-spot, you know, if working right in there, right in there is going to inherently or innately, it's going to, it's going to automatically be sexually healing um, without taking into account that the part of us, the inner aspect that actually had the trauma is the part that needs the sexual healing. So what do I mean by this? Uh, one of the, I mentor a lot of sexual healers who call themselves different things, sex coaches, sex educators, sex therapists, dacas, bikinis, tantricas, you know, sex workers, you know, I, I mentor a lot of them. 
And one of them was a DACA, and he was saying that he had this really lovely seven chakra session that he was, you know, taking this woman through, and you know, and you know, in his own way, he was trying to give her something comprehensive, you know, where maybe they would work on voice or they would work on, you know, power. They would work on different things. And he, uh, he had, he was working also with her, her vulva, her yoni. And she was, had come to him because she was having trouble, uh, feeling pleasure and orgasm with her husband, who she loved very much. And, he told me that he was so confused because she would have these lovely orgasms on the table, but when she would get home, she still couldn't access her pleasure and her orgasm with her husband. And I said, um, do you know if she has trauma? And he said, I think so. Like, I think so. I think she mentioned that there was something that happened when she was 10. And I said, well, you know, number one, I recommend an intake. So what sexual healing is not? Sexual healing is not, to me, just heading for the genitals or the body without conducting an in-depth intake where we find out about their, their emotional, physical, sexual, and or spiritual abuse and trauma. To me, if, if there hasn't been an in-depth intake, we're not really in sexual healing. Uh, and, and I said to sweetie, you're, many people, the psyche is brilliant. Many people, when they've had trauma, will create some way to still access their sexuality, but now it's kind of split off. Mm-hmm. So many people can actually have sex with strangers. And they, and it's hard for them to find their arousal with someone with whom they're truly intimate. Because the person that hurt them was a family member, or someone very close to them, or someone they had deep trust with. So when they actually feel this sense of love and trust with someone, that's when their fear comes up. That's when they're like, it's not safe to really feel everything. It's not safe to be in my body. It's not safe to trust you. But a stranger, they can actually go to a sex party. They can go to a stranger. They can hire a a professional and feel their arousal because that's a container that's not as intimate. And I said, if you want to really help her with her issues with her husband, you know, you're going to need to have the 10-year-old self on the table, the part of her that actually received trauma, because that's the part that needs to heal. So sexual healing is, is it's not sexual healing if the, if we're working with the adult self and we're not working with the inner aspects in some way to me. It's not sexual healing if it's not including um, training the person in how to access their yeses and nos, how to feel empowered, how to uh, recover their own sense of sovereignty. It's not sexual healing. It's not sexual healing if I have an agenda. If I, if I think, uh, I know what's best for you. I know what's best for you. Then it's not sexual healing. It's my ego. Mm. It's, I, I think, you know, it's okay to have the seven session, you know, chakra series of sexual healing. It's okay to have that, but to not be attached to it because I need to be present in the moment. Look, in this moment that we're supposed to, yeah, I have this supposed to 
of the exercises I'm going to teach you and the things we're going to do in the power chakra. Well, when we get there, maybe your little two-year-old is triggered or maybe your rebellious teen is triggered or something else happens. And we need to be able to work with what's here right now, not be so attached to my agenda of my seven-step process that I'm not actually here with you and what you need and supporting what is right for your spirit right now. I mean, to me, I might have this overall outline because it's nice to have somewhere that we're sailing, so to speak, but I need to be aware that to work with you, I need to stay connected to you. What I'm about to say is really important. Abuse happens. Like, no one sits around, I, very few people, sit around and think, I want to emotionally abuse someone. I want to uh, traumatize their life. I want to sexually traumatize someone. I think very few people actually think about that. But what happens is that we become more attached to a goal or an outcome. Then we're committed to staying connected to what's right right now for both of us. So if I'm attached to I've got to have an orgasm or you've got to have an orgasm, I am now goal-oriented and I am not present to what's right for you and what's right for me and what's right for both of us right now in an authentic way. And if I'm holding, that's if I, we're both lovers, if I'm holding the container of healer, collaborative healer, then other than my boundaries, it's not about my goals. You know, I, I need to make sure I'm expressing any boundaries so that I'm not modeling a wounded paradigm. But other than that, this is in service of you. It's not about a goal that I have, that we have to get to your orgasm or we have to get to, you know, step three in the chart. It's, it's, it's not about that. It's what's going to be most supportive and collaborative to your wholeness right now. So sexual healing, it's not sexual healing if someone has an agenda. It's not sexual healing if I have this delusion that my magic energy, my magic vulva, you know, my magic penis, you know, that my magic body part or my magic energy is going to heal you, it's not sexual healing. Uh, it's, once again, it's delusion, it's um, my sex addict masquerading underneath my sexual healer, and I just want to out myself as saying that I am a sex and love addict in recovery, that I actually uh, recognized at one point that I was, uh, I liked to get people aroused so that I could surf off of that. Like, I loved that energy. Like, if somebody else was aroused, it was like applause for me. It's like, ooh, I got them aroused. <laughs> Aren't I awesome? And and that, that that's, it is, it's juicy energy. So, you know, if someone was aroused, I could literally be like, you know, let me, let, you know, let me, let me soak that right in there because that's feeling good in my body. And it was, you know, now I can talk about it, but there was a time period where it was, it was actually, uh, challenging for me to look there and challenging me for, for me to face that I had these parts of me that were unconsciously running uh, my relationships, 
unconsciously running how I would, um, you know, who I would be if I was at a sex party that, you know, that I used to, you know, in some way sort of celebrate like, Ooh, I'm such a hunter. Rawr. <laughs> you know, like, you know, that I was, you know, excited about like my high sex drive and my, you know, this kind of, uh, primal, which is fine. You know, it's, it's fine to have a high sex drive and it, it's fine. Yay. I, I plan to keep a high sex drive and it's fine to be a hunter, but I didn't understand that underneath that was something that was even more usury than that. Something that was more, uh, once again, committed to a goal. I mean, attached to a goal versus committed to staying really tenderly and sensitively connected to another human being. And I've heard people, I have heard people. I have had a male partner come back to me years later and tell me that I raped him. And because of that very circumstance that, uh, that I was, uh, there were, it was me and my beloved at the time and another couple. And we had, you know, were attracted to each other. We had designed a date night. We, uh, you know, had some negotiation. And now it's, you know, it's Saturday night and we're in front of the fireplace and there's, you know, pillows and blankets. We, we've created this cozy nest for, you know, the four of us and, you know, and we're dressed, you know, beautifully and music is playing and, and, you know, people are starting to unclothe and the energy is getting more sexy. And we started out, you know, each with our own couple. And as I'm starting to, you know, kiss my beloved, he starts to, you know, get stiffer and stiffer and, you know, not be responding. And, you know, now I would know that to be disassociation or I would know that to be freezing. But he's, he was, you know, the body signals was that he was getting stiffer, you know, maybe not looking at me. His breathing is getting shallower. And I noticed something, but instead of, you know, basically stopping the play and and releasing attachment to a goal which would have looked like hey honey are you okay you know I, I I'm gonna invite you to check into yourself and then let me know what's going on and then just have been really patient if it took him a while to figure out what was going on for him many people can't just say like that especially when they're frozen or disassociated and um, you know, that would have been healthy. But instead of doing that, I had had this, you know, fantasy. I'd been having this dopamine about, you know, the four of us together. Dopamine is anticipation and reward. You know, so I'd been having all this going on for probably a couple of weeks. And and I was, I was not going to let the goal go. So what I started to do was, Oh, come on, baby. Don't you want to? Like, wouldn't it be fun? Didn't we agree to this? Come on, honey. You know, and I'm starting to like, try to kiss him, try to do those things that will turn him on. Probably, you know, try to give him oral sex. You know, I'm trying to do all these things to get him to basically cross his own boundaries and, and have sex because I, I'm, attached to this goal and at one point I kind of give up on him and I'm like fine and I go to continue to play with the other couple it would be years later that he would tell me that he'd actually gone outside and thrown up 
and that he experienced after that like the PTSD sy- symptoms of being raped. And when he thought of the event, he would start to shake or he would just start to disassociate. And he didn't recognize it as a rape until he was talking with a friend of his who was describing how she felt after being raped. And he was like, oh, my God, that's me. That's what I experienced. And when he told me that this had happened, that that was his experience of, of this evening, um, you know, that was there a thought in my brain? But we agreed. We negotiated. You know, was there a thought that kind of wanted to make him wrong that might have said, well, you didn't let me know clearly enough, you know, Um you know, that wanted to justify my behavior and wanted to diminish his pain. Was there a part of me that wanted to go there or or had those thoughts? Absolutely. Absolutely. And instead, what I did was, you know, kind of petted those parts of me and said, "Mm, those are normal ways to feel, but that's not who I'm committed to being in the world. I'm not committed to being someone who minimizes someone else's pain. I'm not committed to being someone who justifies the behavior that I do that hurts people. I'm, I'm, that's not who I'm committed to being. So I took a big breath and I said, um, I take 100% responsibility for what happened and that wasn't okay. And you didn't deserve that. And I was wrong. And then he took a big breath and he was like, wow, Francesca. Wow. I, I didn't think you would do that. Wow. And, uh, you know, that he was positively surprised that I, was just willing to own it. And um, and then I said, you know, after giving a few breaths with that, I said, is there anything I can do today to make it right? Hmm. And he said, yeah, tell people. Share about it. Let people know that women can also rape men. I said, okay. Got it. And is it easy to take responsibility for the ways that we've hurt people? No. Is it easy to justify and to say, well, you, will you, yeah, it's easy to justify. And that won't get us where we want to be in healing with one another. Um, so part of sexual healing is also really owning our shadow. And so I would say and our shadow is our blind spot. And guess what? There's always more blind spot. So I would say it's not sexual healing, and I'm not a sexual healer, if I'm not 
actively willing to look at my shadow, my blind spot, if when I'm called out, which will happen, uh, you hurt me, you stepped on my toes, you weren't listening, you, you know, whatever someone's going to say, that I, you know, if I say I'm a sexual healer, then I need to take the breath and, and, and say, okay, maybe I might need to say, could you say it again? Cause I was just checking out the first time you said it. Um, or maybe I need to say, oh, I was starting to defend myself. Let me stop. Would you say it again? Uh, and, and if I'm going to be a sexual healer, building a paradigm of sexual wholeness in the world, I need to do that work. And one of my uh, ex-partners who I would teach with at one point, he, he, I had a, a client of his call me and she said that he had been giving her a DACA session. Uh, she'd been raped as a child by her father. He'd been giving her a DACA session, you know, and in his modality, he was up in her genitals pretty quickly. And, um, and the first session she actually felt was helpful to her. And so she was willing to have a second. And in the second session, as he's working with her and she's on the table, um, suddenly she feels something on her belly and it's his cum. He's actually cum on her belly. And she's like, what? Like, that's not okay. Like, you don't get to do this. This is my session. This is about me. Like, no. And he actually said, oh, it would be unhealthy for me to suppress my arousal. Like, that would be unhealthy and inauthentic. And I'm like, and I'm like, no, it's not unhealthy or inauthentic. That is what it means to be a sexual healer. It's not about us. You know, me being in service of your sexual wholeness is not about me. It's not against me. It's not about my arousal. It's not about my primal. It's a clear, clean container in service of you and your wholeness, period. And, you know, that he couldn't take in or own it or look at it or say that was a mistake. It was absolutely rewounding for her. Like, even if that had happened, let's say he did get carried away, but then could own it and say, I'm so, you know, I want to take 100% responsibility. You know, I didn't manage my arousal. The correction I'm going to put in place is this, this, and this. You know, I, it absolutely what You know, that could have been healing. Because I'm willing to bet you her father never apologized. Her father never said, you know, I take 100% responsibility for being drunk that night, and that wasn't okay, or however it happened. You know, is most often the people who perpetrated against us have never owned mm -hmm. that they were perpetrators. So it's, it's not going to say that we might never make a mistake. But part of the healing could be how we handle that mistake. Okay, so in many cases, the perpetrator has never apologized. They've never said, I take 100% responsibility that I was yelling at you and that wasn't okay. 100% responsibility that I was hitting you and that wasn't okay. 100% responsibility that I sexualized you or interacted with you sexually in some way and that wasn't okay. In so many cases, the perpetrator has never really owned and taken responsibility. So if and when we make mistakes, which could happen, just being able to say, I, I'm going to take responsibility. That was not okay. That was not your fault. 
that was something in me that just got acted out. And I'm going to own that. And what can I do to make it right? Just that could be hugely healing for someone. Yeah. I'm loving it. Thank you so much for um, sharing all this. Because of everyone who is watching, uh, many people would question and wonder and like, you know, there's so much talk about sexual healing and the rape that can happen within sessions when they do genital work on, or even when we don't do genital work as a therapist myself, you know, going with, going in a session and try to work out your own issues during a session of somebody else, to me, it's kind of like, um, raping <laughs> in a level because it's, 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 it's just, we hold the container for somebody else to really be there for themselves to heal whatever it is that need to show up. Um, so I really appreciate you that. I would like, I know that we're going to go into the next question, but for everyone who has been watching, uh, while you were talking about the aspect of arousal, many of our viewers also are part of the sexual healing community and we're sharing these interviews all over, uh, online and uh, different groups of DACA, daikinis, uh, tantra practitioners, sexual healers. We're sharing these, these conversations all over. And the conversation also talked about, um, you know, when we're creating the container for a client to really heal, to self-heal, to explore, to let go, to perch, to, to master, to reconquer, to reclaim, right? And, um, what you just share, it was just beautiful, a beautiful example, uh, when you talk about the suppression of the arousal. So what is your message to all the practitioners out there when it comes to that? Like, it's like, it's what could be one of the one tools or tip, tips that you can share with everyone in the audience when it comes to the aspect of like, because I know like studying with you, you know, therapeutic kink, you share with us some aspect of like, here we are in this container and we have these three layers and we can move the sea, you know, and we can see that. And then that's how we hold a session from these three layers of the container. Um, but not everybody has that kind of training and teaching, unfortunately. Uh, people, they just, they don't want to suppress the sexuality. And sometimes the conversations get very hit up because like, yeah, you're right. Like, how can we not suppress our sexuality? But uh, to me, it's like okay. My sexual energy is is creativity, is 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 orgasmic, is energetic. But when I'm in the session, my sexual energy transform into clarity, understanding, love, and compassion. And it's not about you know the eros, uh, the passion. So my own sexual energy transformed into the healing sacredness of the container, which that that's what is channel. So wh what do you have to say to uh, an insight to some of the viewers, which are part of the the, the, uh, the field? Like how can they be in that? <laughs> Yeah, thank you. You know, what I think I hear you saying is that sense of, you know, if we're in the new paradigm where there's not shame and there's not denigration, I don't want to have to shame myself or I don't want to have to shut down myself in order to collaborate with another's healing. 
but I don't, you know, want to, in a sense, perpetrate. I don't want to rewound them um, because of my own desires or arousal. So, like, what do I do? And I want to say, too, for those who might be, you know, watching or listening, is what I'm about to share with you works whether you're a professional sexual healer or whether you are, you know, in a couple and you're just wanting to be a sexually healing presence for your beloved. And what I would say is either way, we want to have container, a container. Now, what does container mean? And I think I'll start by saying, like, how would this look as if we're a couple? But it's going to be the same skill if you're a professional. So if we're a couple, you know, which to me is even the harder level, I might, you're my lover. I make love to you. I love looking in your eyes and seeing how, like, amazing you are and how cute you are. And I love looking at your butt when you get out of the shower. And, you know, like, of course I want to feel, you know, my attraction to you, etc. But now, Thursday night, between 6 and 8, I have said that I'm going to give you a sexual healing session. And you're my lover. You're my personal lover. But I don't want to smear my attachment again to a goal or my even attraction to you. I don't want to smear that all over your session because the session is for you. So that's the container. One level of the container is time. So between six and eight, between four and six, Monday for between five and seven. So I know that 24 hours a day, I don't have to, you know, not acknowledge that I might have attraction for someone is, or especially if it's my own personal partner. So, you know, we have this container and I recommend two hours for sessions. And now we have another layer of container is ceremony. So in our container, now we're going to, uh, breathe, relaxing the jaw, relaxing the belly, be engaged in a bit of clearing the mind and opening the heart. And when I do this, it's really a meditation to start to release an egoic attachment to a goal and to start to really enter in, uh, I might call it divine spaciousness. Some people might call it non-attachment. Some people might call it a more meditative state, uh, maybe a more compassionate observer, something that you know, is, is more spacious, more relaxed. Um, and, you know, as I'm relaxing the jaw and the belly, feeling my feet on the floor, I just notice my thoughts and let them go. I'm encouraging you to do the same. Then we open our eyes and we actually speak our highest and best intentions. Energy follows intention. So I might say my intention, sweetheart, is to be of service to you and your wholeness to really um, collaborate in whatever way is going to bring you the most awesome authenticity, the most safety, the most trust in yourself. And then you say whatever your intention is, and then we light a candle. And now uh, my toolkit, and, you know, hopefully my, I'm never done gathering my toolkit, 
you know, my toolkit might include massage or my toolkit might include having a loving heart or my toolkit might include nonviolent communication or it could include something maybe that I learned at a Tantra event or it could include something I learned in, you know, Reiki energy work or it could, could include something I read in a book. I mean, there's, you know, the toolkit is, is everything that we know and I'm not attached to that toolkit. So... I'm here really in service of you, sweetheart. And what I would often say is what, you know, if it's my beloved or if I've done an intake and or I do intakes with my beloveds, is if it's my beloved or, you know, done an intake, it's like I know something about their childhood. I know something about their life. And I might say, sweetheart, you know, tonight, what part of you, what inner aspect, what inner archetype do you have a sense would most benefit from healing? You know, to, wants to really receive something tonight or uh, wants to maybe reclaim a yes and no tonight. You know, which part of you? And then they're going to say whatever they say. You know, my 10-year-old, my 12-year-old, my 13-year-old, my 20-year-old, my 2-year-old. They're going to say whatever they say. And it's not about me. It's not against me. It's, you know, it's for them. And then, you know, I might say, what, what energy do you most want from me? You know, what energy, what archetype? They might say, I want you to be accepting. I want you to be approving. I want you to, uh, you know, they might, you know, ask for different types of energy. Okay, great. And let me know, you know, where, you know, I might say, let me know where you want to be touched. Let me know if you want to be touched. You know, I'm going to just stand over here a few feet away from you meditating. And you set the pace here. I have no, no attachment to how fast this goes. I have no attachment to where it goes. If we spend the entire two hours with me meditating a couple feet away from you, that's a success. Why? Because you're staying true to yourself. You're actually re-weaving trust with yourself. So I just really want to support you, sweetheart, that there's nowhere to go. There's nowhere to go. There's nowhere to get to. If you're staying true to yourself, that's the success. So I'm I'm really giving a super, super non-attached, spacious container for them. And for myself, now the work is going to be staying meditative. So there'll be a thought. I've had these thoughts. Are they ever going to ask me to do anything? Oh, my God. I think it's been at least a half an hour of standing here. You know, so there'll be, you know, my thoughts about it's going too slow or, or whatever. And then I let those go. I notice those and let those go. Or if I'm my eyes are open and I happen to notice how beautiful they look on the bed or on the table, I might have the thought, mm, they look so yummy. Or, ah. <laughs> They look so beautiful. My honey is so beautiful. You know, I might have whatever inner aspect in me is getting activated by, you know, them being, you know, on the table or on the bed. And then, you know, basically I notice that thought and let it go. So it's not about suppressing like, oh, no, I can't have that thought. I can't. Go away. Don't think about the pink elephant in the room. Don't think about it. You know, it's not about making myself wrong. It's just like notice the thought and let it go. Notice the thought and let it go. Notice the emotion and let it go. Um, I'm feeling uncomfortable and tired right now. Hmm. Noticing that and letting it go. 
uh, I wish somebody would heal me. Notice that thought as I go. You know, it's, you know, whatever is there, it's just a meditation. And my work is to stay in that meditative clear space on behalf of the other person. Like that, that is the work of being a sexual healer. That is maintaining the container. And then I think, uh, Lucia is talking about an exercise that we also do to imagine that our body is like a tower and that we want to envision that our energy, it's a longer exercise, but I'm going to do a very short version is that envisioning that our energy, the locus, the location of our energy is maybe three or four inches back into the body. So it's in the center of the tower. And I have my roots in the earth. I have my, you know, roof open to the heavens. My, I have a root cellar, my roof open to the heavens. I'm in my tower. And the doors or windows that might be facing your tower are open. So I can see you. I can hear you but I'm centered in my tower. I'm centered and open. And this um, this particular gear of energy is different than most of us use because Tantra often teaches merging. And there's a number of um, sometimes even sexual healing modalities that teach this sense of merging our energy and cycling our energy and then I'm trying to heal you by being merged with you. Well, to me, that gets very confusing. And uh, and also, in many cases, the perpetrator, which could have been the family member, the teacher, the babysitter, the whomever, was also merging energy with us. And so once again, in, to have a container that's in service of another person, my energy needs to be out of it. It's 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 like holding it in a very tender way. Uh, it's like the spotter in gymnastics or like the healthy parent who's watching their child learn to walk. You know, certainly if they fall, we, we want to check and see if they're okay. But we're not trying to uh, save them. We're not trying to uh, do the walk for them. You know, there's a point where, once again, to find our own strength, the person, the little child needs to toddle their way and sometimes sit back down and then get back up because they're finding their own strength or the gymnast, you know, needs to do the flip and we can be there to kind of make sure they don't get hurt, but we're not there to do it for them and we're not there to protect them from themselves. Ah, by the way, tears are okay to, you know, when we talk about what is it, is it not? Letting someone have their tears. Sometimes people have been t- suppressing their tears for years. So when I'm holding the container for sexual healing and someone cries, then I'm breathing. Once again, I'm noticing I might have responses to their tears, but I'm breathing those and letting them go. I'm not suppressing them, but I'm not going, oh, my God, they're crying. And, oh, that's so sad. You have a Kleenex. Oh, do you want a hug? Because a lot of that is actually me trying to save them mm-hmm. from how uncomfortable I feel. Yeah. And so we want to allow a concept called trauma release. So someone may be crying. So they're going to cry until they're done crying. Or maybe they're going to rage and be like, you know, you know, expletive, expletive, you know, and then they're just going to do that until they're done with it. 
Or maybe they're going to laugh or shake, you know, just like shake because they're finally moving the trauma through their body. And all of that is fine. You know, and I'm just breathing and holding space. And sometimes I count to 100 and then I count to 100 again. And there's nothing wrong. I just hold that there's nothing wrong and that this is perfect. And isn't it great that they're accessing something that maybe they've suppressed for their 20 years, 30 years, and finally letting it move through their body. Thank you. So you have been addressing a lot of the questions that we have uh, already, but we're going to go through a few of them just to clarify a lot more. Um, how do you know sexual healing is for you or not? <laughs> Personally, I think sexual healing is for all of us. But the question really is, do you know if this is the right sexual healer for you? I think, I, th- I don't know, I, I think there's, based on just the culture we have, a culture that is body shaming, aging shaming, you know, that there's negative and conflicting messages about being a woman or being a man or being non-binary or whatever fantasies you might have. There. And there's so much negative and conflicting messages even if you didn't receive actual, you know, invasive trauma and abuse, mm-hmm. then I think I personally believe all of us could use sexual healing. However, how do you know it's the right sexual healer? To me, that's the bigger question. And so for me, if, if I, when I look for someone to collaborate in my sexual healing, I'm looking for, are they willing to have a phone conversation with me first so I can get a sense of who they are and how they listen to me. Are they listening to me? Uh, do they have an intake? Mm-hmm. Or do they have a system? I'm a little leery of a system because I am not a widget. I am a complex human being. And somebody who just thinks that, you know, they're going to use their system, I'm a little worried about that, um, or a lot worried about that. Uh, I'm definitely going to look for referrals, you know, who amongst people I know may have had experiences that they think of as positive. Uh, I might, you know, have like an introductory session. I might say, do you have an introductory session? where I can just start to get to know you and the way that you work and something about, you know, the, your pacing, etc. Mm-hmm. I might ask questions like, by the end of a session or two, how many of your clients are naked? How many of your clients uh, are already having their genitals touched? Is Do you feel that sexual healing requires genital touch? So I'm going to tell you something shocking. Are you prepared? is that uh is that i would say something like easily 85 percent of the sexual healing work that i do never includes touching someone's genitals and of the 15 percent that's left uh at least another 10 to 13 percent of that wouldn't include anything that looked like arousal so if i'm even touching their genitals at this point i'm doing that to you know invite presence, like I'm going to invite breathing into this part of your body and welcoming it home. Mm-hmm. I'm going to invite breathing into this part of your body and really allowing there to be a sense of the sacred or the blessed here. 
and and it's not about woohoo, you know, um, let's get all, mm. uh, and you know, and I'm not to say I would be against that. It's just not what has shown up. It's that on the road to authenticity, people are much slower and more tender. Like if they're actually trying to stay integrated, if they're actually trying to reclaim that little boy or little girl who was shamed or yelled at or beaten or made fun of or uh, lied to or molested, if they're actually trying to reclaim that person, they're not just rushing to like, you know, diddle my genitals. It's, it's a, it's a much more slow and tender process. Um, so, you know, is that, you know, so we're asking questions. Uh, you know, do you have somebody that I could talk to? You know, do you have a client of yours that I could talk to? Uh, if they teach a class, maybe going to a class first and seeing, their energy and their pacing in their class and getting a sense of, uh, you know, the gut intuition, the intelligent mind, you know, what are, as you, as you go through your own energy system, what are you starting to feel about this person? Do you feel, I would be wary of working with someone that really turned you on Mm. because then the primal is taking over and you're, and you're not actually working with the part of you that has the wounding. Um, and, you know, it, it, you know, it, it doesn't mean you have to find them unattractive, but, you know, just, you know, there's a scale. I don't know about you, but there's a scale. There's like, oh, you're a very attractive person. And then every now and then I run into somebody who's like, oh my God, it's hard to think straight when I'm around you. Oh my God. You know, and, you know, so feeling that someone's an attractive human being is fine. But if, if you're like on that level of it's a 10, maybe not. Uh, you know, so there's, we're practicing our discernment. Uh, in many cases, me personally, I've done my most profound sexual healing work so far. You know, not to say it couldn't happen later with a man, but so far, even though I identify as more hetero, heterosexual, I've done most of my sexual healing work with women. Uh, because it doesn't trigger the primal, because it doesn't trigger parts of me that um, will take me away from connecting to what's authentic for me. So when Mm -hmm. I've done sexual healing with women, it's felt like I really had the space to say, what's right for me right now? What's right for me right now? What's right for me right now? And, uh, and I really needed that space to come home to myself. Yeah. Hmm. Thank you. So we talk about, um, you know, how do you know sexual healing is for you? We address a lot about genital touch. Um, the biggest question here is, um, it's having sex with a client considered sexual healing. You know, people talk about the sacred prostitute, remembering they being sacred prostitute back in ancient times, and, you know, honoring and respecting everybody's um uh, perspective. So, if yes, should we offer at the beginning of the journey of advanced levels? What do you, what are your perspective on that one? Uh, I also want to say and thank you for you know that sense of honoring everyone's perspective. Is what I share with you is my soul's truth and my experience. You and only you 
are the final arbiter of your soul's truth when what you're seeking is healing for you. When you're seeking to be in relationship with someone else, then we need to say, what is our win-win? That's part of being a healthy relationship. Can we establish a win-win? Can we take turns? That would be a healthy relationship. When I'm saying that I'm a healer in service of someone else, even if it's my partner, then other than my boundaries, it's not about me. But when you're a healy, then absolutely you are the final arbiter of your soul's truth. What is going to be the most healing for you? So if as someone who wants healing, I'm at a point in my healing process where I was, I, I assess, I, I feel integrated enough, Lucia. I've done so much healing work. I feel integrated enough. Uh, I feel healed enough in my chakras that I could balanced enough in my energy that I think I'm ready to have a sacred sexual encounter with someone still in service of me. But I think I'm ready to actually uh, try intercourse or try bringing my pleasure into it because I brought my little girl home, because I've honored my teenager, because I've balanced my primal with my wise woman, because I, I really feel this integration, I, I think I'm ready. You know, then I would want to honor if I'm the one seeking healing, um, that now I'm looking for that. And I want to allow that the term sacred pros- prostitute, sacred prostitute, so important to understand what that actually means. The word prostitute comes from Latin. It's prostituare. It means to stand in on behalf of, pro on behalf of, stituare, to stand. It's to stand in on behalf of the missing or unwilling partner. Mm. That's what a prostitute is. So a prostitute might say, oh, your partner doesn't want to have anal sex? Sure, let's try that. A prostitute might say, you have a partner who doesn't want to have sex with you? I'm here for you, babe. You know, a prostitute is there to stand in on behalf of the missing or unwilling partner. The sacred prostitute is a different kettle of fish, a different, uh, you know, beast altogether. The sacred prostitute stands in on behalf of the divine. Now, that's very different. Mm. I'm not standing in on behalf of the missing or unwilling partner. And if we think of the divine or the holy as wholeness, the harmony, the wholeness, then the sacred prostitute is actually here to say, how can I support wholeness? Wholeness, holiness, health, healing, all come from the same in English. They all come from the same root word. So I'm here to support your wholeness, which may or may not have anything to do with uh, sexual intercourse. Now, could it ever? It could. Uh, and I, let me just check. I, I've done personal sexual healing work for, I had a partner who was, had sexual trauma at around eight or nine. And I did personal healing work for him. And I would say most of that healing work, and it was my partner, my personal lover, and I gave him sessions for nine months calling his spirit home to his body. And I would say 
almost all of that did not include uh, uh, intercourse. And what I will give you an example of what did two examples of what included um, sexual intercourse as a healing modality. One is going, is from a, a, a priestess colleague of mine where she had been raped as a young girl and her partner said, this is her personal beloved said, how do you feel about redoing your first time? Cause her, it was her first sexual experience had been a rape and her partner said, how do you feel about redoing your first time? And she said, nervous, frightened, but I would like that. And so he started to brainstorm with her and design for her what like just the most beautiful and healing and sacred first time could look like. And I believe it actually took a week. So like the first night, you know, she came into the room and she sat at the edge of the bed and he just welcomed her and he said, thank you for being here and thank you for your bravery and you're so beautiful. And you know, I just, I'm in awe of you. And I think the first night was maybe, and, and they actually talk about this, by the way, in the Kama Sutra. And Kama Sutra is literally teachings of love. It's it's the joy of sex for the, the Hindu population of a few thousand years ago. And uh, in it, they actually talk about the week. The week where the first time is conversation. The first night is conversation. And uh, the second night is feeding each other. And then, and more conversation. And then the third night is where you just start to, you know, smell each other and, you know, maybe just do even like these sort of like dry, little dry kisses, but you're just starting to smell each other's pheromones and maybe just starting to nuzzle each other. And like in the fourth, and so you're basically building arousal and you're building trust. And then maybe the fourth night is where you start to, you know, just start to explore one another's bodies a little bit more. And you're checking in, like, how does this feel? Do you like this? How about slower? Would you like me to try something else? You know, oh, you know, do you, you know, would you like to take something off? You don't have to. And it's really important to have the one that's the healy, the one who's seeking healing, be in charge. Be in charge of the pacing. Even if it's hard for them. Even if it's like, oh, I don't know what I want. It's okay. Take your time. You don't have to know. You know, we've got weeks. There's no, there's no have to here. You know, if, if tonight you're just, you come up with one thing that you can ask for, great. And if tonight you don't come up with anything to ask for, that's great because you're staying true to you. So there's, you know, the loose intention is I'm giving someone a first time experience of sexuality, but there's no have to. There's no push because that's what a healthy first time would be. It would be an innocent exploration, especially if we're, healing that someone's been raped, if we're healing that someone's been molested, absolutely, if we're reweaving their first time, and by the way, the body can't tell the difference between something that's powerfully imagined even and something that really happens. This is why psychodrama works. This is why this kind of work works is because we're reweaving the past. So I believe in their case, they ended up taking about a week. And where he was, she said he was so slow, he was so spacious, he just gave her so much adoration and safety and she really felt like she was able to come back into her body and reclaim her first time 
as something beautiful. Mm. Uh, with my partner, it was nine months of uh, two-hour sessions about once a week, calling the spirit home to his body, blessing his body, not particularly, it wasn't about arousal or anything. It was, uh, you know, uh, if we think about if someone's been disassociated or traumatized, you know, calling their spirit home. And as about eight months into this, uh, well, actually, over the months, he started to have dreams where there was leper, these leper colony that was coming. And eventually, it was a mother and child leper. And eventually, they were at the door of the bedroom. They were next to the bed. And so there was this sense of his lost pieces of himself coming home. So in a way, I was tracking through his dream life how this healing process was working. Mm. And somewhere about eight and a half months in, you know, when we weren't having a session, we were making love like a regular couple, I guess. And uh, somewhere about eight and a half months in, we were making love. And I don't know if you've ever experienced this, where after you make love, you feel depleted, you don't feel good, you feel kind of fussy, you feel like that wasn't what I wanted. I don't know if anybody's like me, where you're just kind of, after making love, you're like, eh. And in the old model, the old paradigm, I would blame my partner. I would be like, they, they're not who I thought they were, and they didn't do something right. But in the new model, I actually check inside me. So when I checked inside me, I saw this little, this little like four-year-old with her arms crossed and her foot tapping. <laughs> and, I, and I was like, oh. Hmm. And I, you know, I'd already talked to him about the inner aspect model. So I woke him up and I said, honey, I think the little girl in me is wants to be included in our sex life in some way. And he said, do you know what that means? And I said, mm, I don't know. Let me check. So I closed my eyes and I, I sent this question to her. And at the time, she wasn't talking to me yet. Uh, I saw this image of, of like a little picnic on the bed, like little cheeses, little fruits, little chocolates, you know, little crackers like on a tray on the bed. And I said, I think she wants a bed picnic. And I <laughs> described it. And he said, oh, I can do that. So the next time we got together, he had the picnic on the bed. And I took off my makeup. And I put on a flannel nightgown. And I wasn't trying to pretend to be the little girl. I just wanted to give myself some encouragement to, to step into the little girl. And I sat down next to him really wanting to bring this part of me forward. And it, it was the first time I'd done inner child work in, in therapy, but I'd never brought my inner child forward to anyone. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to see if I can bring her forward. And, uh, and she arrived and she said, do you like me? And he said something brilliant because the child in ourself can often tell if someone's lying or not. She said, he said, um, he said, I don't know if I like you. I don't know you. And she really appreciated the truth in that. And she said, um, would you like to? And he said, yeah. So he, you know, she pointed to some food and he fed me and then she disappeared. And I, I said, she's gone. And he said, did I do something wrong? And I said, no, no, that was just, I think that was just a lot for her. That's the most that she's ever been out in the world. I think you did fine, but she's disappeared now. 
A few weeks later, and this is kind of getting towards the end of his healing process where the mother and child leper were next to the bed and in his dreams, and I really had this sense of his his wholeness coming home. We're in bed, and I'm on top, and uh, and I start to get this feeling that I've come to associate when she's upset, and I stop the lovemaking, and, and I look down at him, and I say, you know, the little girl in me would like to talk to you right now. Is that okay? And, you know, God bless him. He was like, sure. <laughs> so I open my eyes, and, and I'm a little girl now, and I'm like, do you have a little boy? Now, what's really important is that if I had asked him nine months before, and he was he's a full-time martial artist, he's a bodybuilder, he's like this big, tough guy, you know? If I had asked him nine months before, do you have a little boy? He would inside. He would have said no, because it's one of the woundings of the masculine to have to be tough all the time, mm -hmm. to have to be the big guy, to not be weak. You know, it's like this huge wounding around what it is to be a man. So he would have denied that he had a little boy inside. But because we'd done nine months of healing work, he said, he said, I don't know if I have a little boy. Let me check. And he closed his eyes and he opened them and he said, yes. Yes, I have a little boy. Can he come out and play? <laughs> and he said, I don't know. Let me check. So he closed his eyes. And when he opened his eyes, it was with the innocence and wonder and joy of the little boy. And his little boy and my little girl made love in this way that I've actually, I don't know if I've ever made love that way before or since. It was just like joy and innocence and wonder and was that healing to both of us? Healing, intimate, bonding, absolutely. I don't think in both of these stories, these were with partners. I'm not sure how easily replicatable this is with a professional. I'm not saying it can't be done. Uh, and I think it's very delicate. It's very delicate because... He, I had already guided him in nine months of inner work, and then I was doing my inner work to meet him there, mm -hmm. is what was going on, really, if we look at it. And in this other couple, you know, they were also this, they had been a couple for, you know, a while, and he really knew about her, and they had done some other, they were in a BDSM dynamic, and they had done other healing scenes, and they had a lot of trust when this concept of, you know, would you like, you know, a a redo, a do-over of your first night, mm. of your first, you know, a sexual experience? So, you know, could it ever happen with a professional? I think it could. I think that definitely trust would have to be established. I certainly wouldn't start there. Um, and And I think that there also has to be careful, am I... Am I bringing, you know, what am I bringing to this? Am I in service of this? Am I in service of the wholeness? As it started to shift, one of the reasons I haven't offered that to my clients, too, is because, remember, I do have an addict, and I do have an inner vampire. By the way, if you can feel energy, if you can move energy, if you can heal with energy, you can feed off of energy. And this is one of the, I believe, one of the shadows or the blind spots of a lot of sexual healers. Yeah. 
is is I believe that like me, many I'm not saying everyone, but yeah. many have a uh, a vampire that feeds off of sexual arousal mm-hmm. and or a sex addict that feeds off of sexual approval and arousal yeah. that is in their shadow. Uh, I'm not naming names. Who do I, what do I know? But I'm you know I'm outing myself and I'm saying it's 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 my it's my hypothesis. Yeah. Um, and so I've been worried about myself with all the work that I've done. I've been worried that if I was actually having intercourse with somebody that maybe I did find attractive, that it would be really hard for me to maintain that clarity and that service without either either falling in love, which may also, by the way, falling in love with a client can also be over a boundary of what you've just created, and without either falling in love or maybe going to my vampire or something else. I've been, you know, sexual intercourse is fairly high octane. Yes. It's fairly, uh, it's really taking up the energy to a whole nother level. So I've been um, concerned. There's a book which I recommend for people called The World of Tantra by, I believe, Banerjee. He's a Hindu named Banerjee. And he comes from a lineage of studying Tantra and his family and when he's a young man and he expresses that he really wants to study this, not everybody studied it as devotedly as he does to become more of a sadhu. Uh, but when he expresses that he really feels called, they find him a teacher. And his teacher is an older woman. And when they start, at first they're just sitting in lotus position, fully clothed across from each other, meditating. And, you know, as a young man, I think when he starts, he's, you know, maybe 18 or something, and he's, it's hard for him to meditate. And he's like, uh, 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 you know, bored, uh, 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 meditating, bored. You know, it's hard for him to just focus and just sit there and clear his mind. Eventually, he's able to sit in lotus, fully clothed, across from her, and stay in a meditative place. And then what she says is, okay, now we're both going to be naked. So I'm going to be naked, and you're going to be naked, and we're going to be sitting in lotus position, you know, the cross-legged position, across from each other, not doing anything, but staying in meditation. And then, you know, being across from a beautiful naked woman, now suddenly it's 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 really hard for him to stay focused again, and he wants to look at her breasts, and he doesn't, and he wants to look away, and then he feels embarrassed, and, you know, it's really hard for him to stay in a clear meditative place in front of a naked woman. But eventually, he's able to build that muscle where he can just be in clear presence and meditation across from this lovely naked woman. So then eventually, she actually, you know, sits on top of him, naked, asking him to stay in meditation. So not get aroused, not get all turned on, not get all carried away in fantasy, but actually stay in clear meditation with her sitting on top of him. And then he has a whole nother training in himself to be able to hold that kind of focus. And uh, I'm trying to remember if they, if they ever go to making love, and they, and they might. I don't remember that part. But I know that they at least go up through where she's sitting on top of him naked and he's expected to hold clear presence in meditation without attachment, like the no mind. Yeah, no attachment. No attachment. Well, if you can do that, you know, then maybe you can be a a professional sexual healer when someone asks you. You're not offering. You're not saying, I think 
I think if I made love with you, you would be healed. I want you to know that I have a magic genitalia. And it can heal you. You know, if if I'm actually in the non-attachment and no mind, and someone comes to me, can I continue to hold that? Mm-hmm. Can I continue to not go into fantasy, not go into it's about my arousal, or my arousal being hooked to their arousal, and hold presence for what would serve them? Uh, now, I'm going to say something a little bit, you know, almost like a little devil's advocate here is this is what we're talking about is specifically working with certain kinds of trauma, especially childhood trauma. I have a, one of my mentees is an escort, and so she does full service. And she also considers herself a sexual healer. And I've talked with some of her male clients and I actually did doubles with her because I wanted to see, like, what does she do? <laughs> you know, I can't just hear about this. I have to see it. Um, I am a very strong researcher. <laughs> and so it was like, I have to see this. So we did doubles. And, uh, and what I saw is that she brought the archetype of the adoring lover. Like, like the minute that the man would walk into the room, she'd be like, it's my beloved. I'm so glad you're here. Like I miss you and I and I adore you and you know, I'm just so happy to see you. And then she would um sit them down and she would, you know, I think she had a past life in India. She would like take off their shoes and socks and like bathe their feet and kiss their feet and it wasn't even particularly sexual. It was just this Adoring, which is very traditional in the East and the Middle East to do a foot bathing and honor, you know, the, the root of our, how we walk the earth and really welcome our presence into the space by honoring the feet. And she would do that. And then she would, um, uh, go and kind of languorously drape herself across the bed so that she could be adored. She recognized at one point that she, men wanted to adore her and that was part of the journey and that they might want to give to her and then after that however they wanted to do that which just could be looking at her and saying you're beautiful after that then she might give them oral sex or she might have intercourse with them from this place of like joy and celebration and just enthusiasm and I've had talked to several of her lovers that said that being with somebody who didn't judge them, being with somebody who was a yes to their fantasies, being with someone who was delighted to see them and um, wanted them and, you know, wanted to meet them in arousal or wanted to meet them in their primal or wanted to meet them in their playful, that just having someone be such a, a yes and such a welcome and such a love had an inherently healing quality to it as well. So uh, I think that what she presenced was particularly efficacious, particularly effective mm-hmm. as in terms of healing an adult. And it may be healing from maybe kind of maybe teen up that, you know, because when people have these wounds around, I'm not desired, yeah. which is usually an older issue than what stuff that happens when we're a child. You know, I'm not desired. I haven't had enough people express that they want me. I maybe have had a powerful 
sex drive or maybe I've had a powerful sexual fantasy or a powerful part of myself that's never been met, then I think to go to a professional who welcomes that and celebrates that and meets it has an inherently healing quality to it. But that's still very different than saying that I'm a sexual healer of trauma, which is usually either something that happened younger Mm. or something that happens like, you know, the guy that I raped, if he went to a sexual healer, just having my friend, the escort be like, Ooh, I want you. And Ooh, let me kiss you. And let me, you know, show you how much I desire you wouldn't have healed the fact that his no was crossed. Yeah. Then he would have needed, he would have needed the first type of healer that we're talking about. Um, so I think looking at what type of healer and then if do we need, and then if you're a healer, uh, I think looking at, you know, your shadow for sure. And then not putting yourself forward as a healer of trauma. If what you really want to be is the person who's dealing with the older self, the older archetypes in the self, you know, uh, you know, maybe older teenager and adult, that just never feel met, never feel wanted, never felt like they got their fantasies safely expressed or met. You know, I think that there can be a place for that. And it's my sense that um, even within that, there still has to be, am I more committed to staying connected to you than I am in any kind of agenda mm-hmm. of what I think should be happening in yeah. the session. Beautiful. Thank you so much for everything you share. And we literally running out of time. So um, Francesca has covered pretty much all the questions that we have. And um, how can people find more about you? I know I would like to also help to share the work that you do because um, training with you and practicing with you and like literally going to my therapeutic kink uh, training with you was amazing and fascinating, which, first of all, at the beginning, I thought it was going to be, like, tight and it was going to be spangled. <laughs> and, I, like, even my partner and I were like, I don't know what I'm going to get myself into it. And it's like, I don't know, you know, with all these tantra workshops and events and healings and, and trainings and the first thing that you do is genital touch and all these things that sometimes goes against my own, you know, remembering and... And just going to your training was one of the most amazing. It was food to my soul because literally uh, you share a, a wealth of knowledge like you're just sharing here in an hour and a half mostly. And and how to really address the healing process and the trauma and the in, the in aspect. And I can say that from coming from your training, I got inspired to go back to school, to do more school. And also... To embrace, I always embrace my shadows, but the aspect of the inner aspect, like training with Francesca, like you can just tell this whole time she went from one archetype to the next one, and like this in second, to me it's like so delicious to actually see somebody who actually do it and embody it. Many people out there talk about it, but they don't show it. So I love Francesca's work. So how people can find you, Francesca, and what, and, you know, upcoming events or trainings you have coming up. Thank you, sweetheart. Uh, my email is relationshipdiva at gmail.com. That's relationshipdiva at gmail.com. And I'm happy to offer uh, our listeners 
a complimentary 45 minute phone session and we can go deeper into what may or may not be a match for you and resources for you, whether that's me or not. And I have a training uh, for men to heal men. So it's not specifically for male uh, healers. It's for anyone who wants to bring the healing to men. It could be couples. It could be men or women or non-binary. It's June 21st through 24th. It's the Somatic Integrative Healing of Men course. And then in August, I've got, uh, for the first time ever, inspired by Lucia, is an eight-day training that will be on-site in a beautiful location that will include both the Somatic Integrative Healing of Women and the Somatic Integrative Healing of Men in one eight-day course so you can get all of it all at one time and probably get quite a few of your hours towards your certification. So it takes 20 clinical hours on top of the trainings to be certified. So you'll get a bunch of it all at once. Uh, also is in July is the next therapeutic kink intensive, which as Lucia said is delicious Incredible. and transformative. And I'll be for people who like to travel, I'll be teaching a three day version of the therapeutic shamanic tantric kink intensive in Utrecht, Holland in October, October 9th, 10th and 11th. And over, um, over fall equinox, I'll be teaching an eight day, a really delicious eight day going deep into the archetypes, but going to sacred sites and temples and going even deeper into, into the shamanic psychological neurobiological in Sicily. It'll be amazing. And it includes lodging and exquisite food. And that is uh, shamanic archetypes of healing in mm. Sicily, September 19th through the 26th. So just, you know, email me and I'll get you more of that information and have a call with me and we'll look at, see what, you know, what's right for you. Awesome. Thank you so much, Francesca. I appreciate you. I love you so much. Thank you from my heart. Can't wait to see you again. So everyone, thank you for uh, tuning in, for staying with us all the whole time. We appreciate you. Uh, remember, if you want to know more about me, go to luciagabriela.com. And also, if you are in Sarasota, Florida, you can come and to Nuna Holistic Retreat Center. We specialize in emotional and sexual healing. So thank you for joining us and see you next time. Love you all.